I remember when we still lived in Florida, I was visiting a church. It was off hours, so the building was empty, but we were just kind of touring around, taking a look at what was going on. And one of the things that I noticed was that the pastor had taken a bunch of the most important sayings that uh, he wanted the church to remember and had turned them into signs and posted these signs all over the place. And I remember going into one room, probably the fellowship hall, and there was a big sign on the wall and it said, keep the main thing, the main thing. Keep the main thing, the main thing. And that is some of the best advice that I ever got. Now that wasn't unique to him, wasn't the only place that you've probably heard, you've probably heard something along those lines before, but it's a really important and helpful reminder to keep the main thing the main thing because it's so easy to get off track. How many of you have had this experience? You're busy all day. You, have, you, you didn't have a free moment. And then you get to the end of the day and you look back over the day and you say, what got accomplished? I know I was busy the whole time, but I didn't get anything done. We've all had that kind of experience and keeping the main thing makes sure that when you put your head on the pillow at night, that you might, uh, that you might think I didn't get everything done that I wanted to, but I got the most important things done to keep the main thing, the main thing. I was reading a book called Made to Stick and in the very beginning of that book, it talks about this and this helped to really uh, keep it uh, fresh and concrete for me is it was talking about what's called the commander's intent. And according to the study and Made to Stick by Dan and Chip Heath, it's uh, an idea in the army that when they are planning for a battle or for a mission, they would make all of these plans, but of course the old adage goes that no plans survive contact with the enemy. And we all experience that kind of thing. You know, no, no plan for our days survives contact with our schedule. No plan, no sales plan survives contact with the customer. That it requires a little bit of flexibility. So they would come up with all of these plans, but then if things didn't go according to plan, what do you do? So they came up with this idea of the commander's intent that they would put at the top of the page the answer to a question like this. If you can't do anything else, do this. This, what's the most important thing that will happen in this mission? And you put that at the top. What they were doing was figuring out a way to keep the main thing the main thing. And when it comes to the kind of advice that we're going to be talking about over these next several weeks, almost in every area, whether it's marriage or parenting or finances, the advice that we're going to talk about is this kind of advice. It's what is it that is the main thing, the thing that you must remember, the thing that you must do above all else if you are going to accomplish what you want to accomplish in all these different areas of life. So what we're really talking about today is focus. How do you maintain focus? How do you make sure that when you put your head on that pillow at night that you've done the things that are most important 
even if you couldn't do all the things that you wanted to. And so obviously the, the bottom line for today, the theme is that we keep the main thing, the main thing. Now, even though Commander's Intent was developed for the Army in the 1980s, according to the book, even though uh, you know, it was many years ago that I saw that keep the main thing, the main thing sign in that church, this is not something that is new or unique. It is something that has been around for a long time. In fact, Jesus, in his teaching, was very specific and gave us a lot of direction, especially for us as followers of Jesus and as the church of Jesus Christ about what the main thing is. What is the main thing that we should be focusing on? So I want to look at a little bit of Jesus' teaching where he kind of zeroes in on this. It's just two verses. It's Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and 24. Now, this is towards the end of the Gospel of Matthew, and Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, go to uh, suffer that death, resurrection, ascension. So he's kind of wrapping up his ministry and he's giving his last instructions to the disciples. And in this chapter in particular, he's having basically his last major confrontation with some of his adversaries, the Pharisees who are constantly at odds with Jesus. And so in this passage, he basically is summing up the case. It's almost like a lawyer presenting his final argument before the jury. And he, jury. And he is, in essence, declaring them guilty and giving all the reasons why the Pharisees were off track in their opposition to him. And in these two verses, he talks about how they give up, they neglect the main thing in pursuit of a bunch of other smaller things that are not as important. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation, which is the translation that we usually recommend and is the primary one that I use in my teaching. And then we're going to kind of unpack it and go through it in some detail. I'm going to pull in another translation that I think does a really good job at that and see, explain what it is that Jesus is saying and then talk about what it, the main thing is for us as followers of Jesus and as the church of Jesus. Now, I'm hoping that there are people that are listening, tuning in, watching, that are not yet followers of Jesus. So that's perfect for you because it'll give you a chance to see what does it mean ultimately? What is the main thing? What's the core? What's the commander's intent from Jesus for his disciples so that you can know whether or not you want to be a follower of Jesus? And then for us as a church, what are we supposed to be about? If you sign up for this, then what is it that we are signing up for? What is the main thing for us as a church? So if you are not yet following Jesus, this will be perfect for you. If you're already following Jesus, this will hopefully be a reminder, but if not, help to focus you on what it is we're supposed to be doing. And in particular, if you're a part of Cornerstone, it will help you to understand what it is that we as a church are focused on because we want to follow Jesus 
commander's intent. So let's look at these two short verses together. Again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, if you want to follow along. And it's Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and 24. And this is what it says. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look at your word, that you would give us insight, that you would give us direction, that you would speak to every single one of us and help us to focus and to hear from you so that we not only know what the main thing is, but that we will be focused on the main thing and that we as followers of Jesus, we as the church of Jesus Christ, will rally around what you declared is the main thing and nothing else. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, I said I would read it in the New Living Translation. Now I'm going to look at a lot of the verses in the Passion Translation, which is really good to kind of help pull out some of the meaning behind what we are reading. So it starts out like this. Like I said, this is kind of like a, a lawyer giving his closing arguments. And in each one, it literally says, woe to you. He's pronouncing judgment on them. And the way that the Passion Translation translates it is great sorrow awaits you. In other words, there is, there is judgment coming for you because of these things. And so in this list, he's going to add to it uh, specifically this charge. So he calls them hypocrites or frauds and pretenders. They are not doing what they said they would do. They're not, uh, they are not who they say they are. They are frauds and pretenders. So why is it? What is this charge that he's laying against them? And this is what it says. For you are obsessed with peripheral issues. Obsessed with peripheral issues. In other words, your focus is on the things that are on the peripheral, the things that don't matter, the things that aren't as important. You're forgetting the core, you're forgetting the commander's intent, you're forgetting the main thing and focusing on all these other things. And then he gives an example. He's going to give evidence for this charge, like, insisting on paying meticulous tithes on the smallest herbs that grow in your garden. So at that time, you know, tithe today, we get money in usually, and we give a percentage of that towards God's kingdom and his work. Well, for them in an agricultural society, it would have started out with tithing their actual crops, you know, so if they uh, farmed an acre and got wheat, they would take a tenth, that's what a tithe means, and they would contribute that to the storehouse at the temple, and that would be used for 
uh, taking care of the pastors or the priest of the temple, as well as taking care of the poor. It was a way of providing for those who were in need. It's kind of this, it's very similar to what we do today uh, when we tithe to the church. It takes care of the ministry of the church, the ministers of the church, and those who are most in need. So uh, he's saying, you have your little crop of of these herbs, you know, you've got mint and cumin on the windowsill in your kitchen. And when you take off a little sprig to put it in your soup that you're making, you're careful to take a tenth of that and set it aside to contribute to the temple. You're meticulous about the ties on these smallest herbs. And this wasn't even something that I don't, I don't, was explicitly required, but it was something like, well, we're going to tithe. We're going to tithe everything. Great. So they do that. And he says, these matters are fine. In other words, yeah, you should, you should definitely tithe. You should definitely uh, do that. Yet you ignore the most important duty of all. Again, focusing on the peripheral issues. So what is the most important issue of all? And he says that um, you should readjust your values and place the first things first. Readjust your values and place the first things first. What is he saying there? He's saying you've got to keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. And what is the main thing? Well, he starts out by uh, listing some things. He's like, you, 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 gotta, you gotta readjust your values. Well, what are, what are the most important things? Well, you should be walking in the love of God. You should display mercy to others. You should live with integrity. This is just a trio of things that kind of sum up the most important things in the law, like justice and mercy and faithfulness, fidelity to God. Uh, it kind of reminds me of my, Micah 6, 8, which I have my little sign here. It says, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. In the, this passage in Micah, the prophet Micah is saying, look, you're focused on all of these lesser important things, but God has told you the most important things. It's to do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Summed up here as walking in the love of God, displaying mercy to others, living with integrity. So he's saying, you are so focused on the law. And that was the Pharisees thing. They wanted to make sure, they started out on the right track. They wanted to make sure they were doing what God had called them to do. And so they searched the law and they were always trying to figure out, well, how do we employ this to the nth degree? But in the process, they started focusing on the peripheral issues instead of the most important issues. And so he says, look, you know, yeah, it's in the law that you're supposed to tithe your crops. But did you notice this part of the law? Did you notice this part of the law? Because those are actually a little bit more important. And so you keep the main thing, the main thing. You readjust your values. This is his prescription. Readjust your values and place first things first. Keep the main thing, the main thing. And he gives these three examples. But what Jesus was really good at doing, and he did this all the time, 
was to really focus in, to give very specific directions and simplify things. So he takes the law, he says, here's, here's a really important trio of things to do. Let's pay attention to those. And then at another time, he was asked, what's the most important commandment in the law? And he said, he, he gave a two-part answer. It's love God and love others. And when you love God, you are going to be loving others. And as you love others, you are in the process of loving God. He says it's really kind of one deal in two parts. And then later, as he was going to the cross, the night before he went to the cross, we celebrate it as Maundy Thursday, which I just learned in the last couple of years. The reason it's called that is because it's the night he gave his one mandate. That's where the word Maundy comes from, from the same root as mandate, the command, the one command. So eventually Jesus took all of his instruction and said, this is the one thing, this is the main thing that you as my followers should do. And this is what he said, it's John 15, 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He said, you wanna know what it means to be a follower of Jesus? And this is the main thing for followers of Jesus. It's to, to love others. And what's new about it? Because that wasn't new. They had been hearing love one another since they were little. But the new part was the standard, as I have loved you. In this same set of teaching, Jesus would say there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. It gains extra impact because this was said right in that same week where he would go to the cross and literally give his life, lay down his life for his friends, to offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins of the world and for the sins of every person in the world. And so he's saying, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You're going to love like Jesus loved. You're going to love like I have loved. And we've turned that into a core value of our church. And love is such a um, uh, widely used words. You know, I love my wife. I love ice cream. I love, you know, it's, it, it kind of loses its power to say love one another. So we've restated it uh, to kind of give uh, a more clear picture of what we're talking about. And so one of our core values is love, but we describe it as being others-centered. Other-centered meaning I'm going to take everything that is in my hands at my disposal and I'm going to leverage it for the benefit of another. It's laying down your life for your friends so that when you go into any situation, you're saying, how can I leverage what God has placed in me, the power that I have, my words, my actions, my resources, how can I leverage those for the benefit and good of others? It's an others-centered approach. That's what Jesus did, leaving heaven, living a perfect life, dying a death he did not deserve, so that we could be the beneficiaries of that and receive a life and grace forgiveness that we could never earn. So that's the main thing for a follower of Jesus, is to love like Jesus loved. And then similarly, for us as a church, he gave us a very clear mission as well. In Matthew 28, as he's getting ready to 
leave and go back to heaven. This is after the cross, after the resurrection. Uh, there's much more to, these, to, to the Great Commission, but the, at the core, it's go and make disciples, Matthew 28, 19. In other words, we as a church, what are we supposed to be about? We're supposed to be about making disciples. Now he goes on to explain there are two aspects to that. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is that ceremony of initiation. It's the first step of obedience. It's what you do when you decide to say yes to Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus. So he's saying, you're gonna take people that don't know about me, that aren't following me, and you're going to initiate them into the family of God and the citizenship in the kingdom of God. And the way that we do that, we celebrate and formalize it through baptism. So you start with people who are outside and you make them a part of the circle. And then it says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So baptizing them, teaching them. In other words, you start with people who are far away from God, bring them to God, and then you teach them and disciple them and help them to be a learner. That's the key word, that's the key meaning of the word disciple, is it's an apprentice, it's a learner, it's a student. You become a student of Jesus and become more like him. You apprentice in the ways of the Lord. So, making disciples, that's what we're supposed to be about. So, everything that we do, Cornerstone Online, Cornerstone Online, meeting in person, meeting online, everything that we do is designed around this idea of introducing people to Jesus and then helping them to walk in close following, closely following Jesus. So, with that in mind, as I always do, I want to give you the opportunity to get started on that journey. You know, want to know what the main thing is for us as a church? It's introducing people to Jesus and helping them to follow Jesus. And so if you've never done that before, if there's never been a point where you can look back on and say, yes, I crossed the line of faith. I said yes to Jesus. I officially became a follower of Jesus. It's not something that's automatic. It's not something that happens just because you grew up in church. It's not something that happens just because you believe in God. Uh, it's, uh, you know, the scriptures say that you believe in God, great. The demons believe in God and they shudder at the thought. So just believing something, having mental assent to it is not what we're talking about. We're talking about committing our life, turning our life over to Jesus or one of the ways that we say it is saying yes to Jesus. So let me give you that invitation. If you wanna know for sure that you're a part of the family of God and that you're a citizen in the kingdom of God, say yes to Jesus. You're saying yes to Jesus as your savior. He's the one who has purchased forgiveness for you. It's where you say, yes, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. I want that to count for me. And you're also saying yes to Jesus as the risen Lord, as the ruler, as the sovereign of the universe. And you're saying, I want that to apply to me as well. I'm not gonna be a rebel in the kingdom anymore. I'm gonna be a follower of Jesus. I'm gonna say yes to Jesus. He's gonna be the boss. He's gonna to get to call the shots. Say yes to Jesus. When you do that, then you are adopted into the family of God. Your sins, past, present, and future, are taken care of, forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. 
He comes and indwells you in the person of the Holy Spirit, which changes your want to so that you want to do the right thing and also gives you the power to do the right thing. We're not saved by our works, we're saved unto for the purpose of changing so that we do the right thing. So commit your life to Jesus, say yes to Jesus, and let us know. Click that button on the format, on the platform that you're watching, if there's a button, or anywhere you're listening or watching, text yes to our church number. We'll be able to celebrate your decision because this is the best decision you'll ever make. And we want to resource you for your new life in Christ. So we're going to keep the main thing, the main thing. And as we wrap up, I want to give you a couple of just quick observations about this and how it applies to us, particularly as a church, but you'll be able to make application to wherever you're thinking about what the main thing is. The thing that I want you to, uh, to keep in mind is that the main thing, your main thing, is the destination, not the path. It's the destination, not the path. If you think about the commander's intent, that is the destination. It's what do we want the battlefield to look like at the end of the day? The planning is the path. And yeah, you wanna have an idea of how we're gonna get from where we are to where we want to be, but the main thing is not to follow that particular path, it's to end up at that particular destination. And whenever you see Jesus giving the main thing, he's talking about the destination. It's love in the way that I have loved you. Well, what does that look like in my household? I don't know, but you're gonna, you know the end result is to leverage whatever God has placed in your hands for the benefit of others. You'll figure that out along the way as long as you have that destination in mind. How are we supposed to make disciples of others? Well, there have been all kinds of methods and materials down through uh, history, but the end result is we want people who are following Jesus wholeheartedly. And whatever we can do to make that happen, that's what we're gonna do. And over time, the most effective way of doing that might change. The most effective path might change. There might be a blockage. We've experienced some blockages over the course of the last year, but we're still aware of the path, of the destination where we want to head. So when you are giving a job description, don't tell people exactly what to do. Tell them where you want them to end up. What's the destination? And then allow creativity and try different things, but keep the main thing, the destination and not the path. And so similarly, what we should do is marry the mission and date the method. Marry the mission and date the method. You wanna be committed to the mission and you're just, you, can, you can date the, the method. The method may change, but you're gonna be married to the mission. Uh, right now I'm using technology, I'm using this television and screen and a computer and a little clicker, uh, but um, this is just a tool to help me accomplish what I want to do. I want to inspire and equip you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly because I know that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. And this is just a tool. A building is a tool. 
a online presentation is just a tool. Uh, when we get together, the purpose, yes, we get together, but the purpose is to spur you on towards love and good deeds. So it's that kind of thing. It reminds me of uh, stained glass. Uh, in, at one point in history, stained glass was cutting edge technology. And the reason it was so helpful is it would tell the stories. You could paint pictures and tell the stories for people who couldn't even read, which was many people, most people probably at that time. It was a tool. Now, you know, it, it has become this, this kind of decoration and art and very traditional. But at one time, it was the stream of the day. So... I could come up with stained glass to accomplish the same thing, but no, I'm using the technology. I'm using what's available to me right now to accomplish the same thing. It's being married to the mission and dating the method. So whatever we're talking about, whether we're talking about the way that we accomplish the, the mission, the materials, the places, the strategies that we have, all of these are open to debate and open to change, but the mission has to remain the same. Be committed to that. In the end of Jesus' indictment in these two verses, this is how he wraps it up. He says, what blind guides. Otherwise, uh, other times he would talk about the blind leading the blind. They're both going to end up in a ditch. What's his... Uh, um, his uh, final verdict, they're nitpickers. Again, they're focused on the peripheral rather than the essential. And he gives this example, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. In the Old Testament law, which the Pharisees would have been very concerned about, there were a list of approved and unapproved foods. And in one particular passage, these two items, gnats and camels, you're not supposed to eat them and uh, actually learned this week that this was kind of a play on words. Jesus was probably speaking Aramaic when he was doing this teaching, and Nat is Kamal, and Camel is Gamal. So he was kind of a, uh, doing a little alliteration, a little rhyming to make his point. But he's saying, look, you're focused on the gnats. You're spooning out and straining out a gnat, but in the process, you're swallowing a camel. So let's not fall under the same condemnation. Let's be focused on the most important things. Most important thing as a follower of Jesus is to be other-centered, to love others the way Jesus sacrificially, selfishly, selflessly loved others. If we're talking about our church, we're going to make disciples. We're not going to be focused on the particular strategy, the way that we always did it, the way that we used to, did it, to, to do it, the way that uh, things used to be done. Let's just go back to the way things were. We may not be ever able to go back to things exactly the way they were done six months ago, six years ago, 60 years ago, but the main thing is still going to be the main thing. We're going to be about loving others and making disciples. And that's the invitation and challenge. Let's focus on the main thing. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's marry the mission 
and date the method. Let's make sure that we are focused on the destination and we can come up with whatever kinds of paths, creative ways to overcome the obstacles that are placed in our way because the important thing is the destination. It's the main thing. It's the goal. And so let's be focused on that. And if you're a part of our church, this is what we're going to be focused on. If you're not yet following Jesus, start following Jesus and figure out how to make that main thing the main thing. And then together, we're going to end up at that destination. We're going to have that congregation that is loving and caring that, as Ephesians 4.16 describes, loving and growing, or, I'm sorry, uh, it's loving and growing and full of grace. It's, it's, that, in, it's that destination that, that God has in mind for us. Won't you join us? Won't you be a part of that? Let's love one another and make disciples and let everything else fall to the side. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have been so clear to us, that you've given us your commander's intent, that you've made it crystal clear what we're supposed to be about as followers of Jesus and as the church of Jesus Christ. Help us to think creatively. Help us to not be married to uh, methods or anything except the mission and help us to accomplish that. Lord, I pray that you would give each of us insight where we've been focused on the lesser things. Help us to focus on the main thing. Give us clarity. Give us insight. Give us discernment. And then give us the power and courage to make the changes that we need to make and to focus, rally around, center on the main thing. Thank you for this. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.